Well, good morning, everyone. We've done this so many times. Good morning, everyone. Yay! <laughs> we are continuing this morning, as Martin mentioned, in our series, The Lifestyle of Jesus, Following a Different Way. And if you've got your Bibles with you or you want to grab a pew Bible, we're looking at Luke chapter 10. You can turn to uh, Luke chapter 10. Uh, we're looking at how Jesus lived his like, life differently and how we as his followers are called to follow in his way. In other words, how do we live the lifestyle of Jesus and, and incorporate disciplines and attitudes and, and certain actions that Jesus himself used? You know, bef- before this series actually started, I remember chatting with a congregant member about it and trying to explain what the series would be about. And they reminded me of a, of a movement back in the 90s known as the WWJD movement. It was actually a, a grassroots movement started by a youth pastor in Michigan, funny enough. But do you remember that? WWJD, their t-shirts and bracelets all over the place that had it written on it, standing for What Would Jesus Do? All that to say, this isn't actually a series It's similar to that, although it's not quite like that, Um, although I'd love to get you all t-shirts. I'm sure that would be really awesome. But it's similar. But in this series, we're not necessarily talking about how Jesus would make decisions, so how would he respond in situation A, B, C, D, but rather how he lived his life. So rather than what would Jesus do, we're looking a little bit more at how would Jesus live. Unfortunately, though, H, W, J, L just isn't quite as catchy. So I won't get you t-shirts, but... We're looking at passages in the Gospel of Luke, at key passages where we see Jesus doing things, doing certain things or living a certain way that we're meant to follow. And so we're reading from Luke chapter 10 today, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to actually hop to verse 17 through 21, okay? So Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, and then 17 through 21. Luke writes this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. And then to verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so what's going on in this passage? We're going to look at that first. And what do we see Jesus doing? All right, so... Jesus has a whole crew of people following him around, right? It's not just his disciples. He's got 12 appointed uh, designated apostles, yes, but he's got many disciples, right? He's got many people who are following him around, watching what he does and wanting to follow in his way and learn from him. So he appoints 72 of them, or actually a lot of our earliest Greek manuscripts say 70, which is actually likely the correct number simply because of the significance attached to that number 70. 
if we look back at Israel's wilderness time period, Moses, we see Moses selecting 70 elders who are given a share in God's spirit and equipped to help him lead the people. If we look at Numbers 11, it says this, so Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of the elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and put, them, put it on the 70 elders. Now, when you hear that, you can already start immediately connecting the dots, right? It's a beautiful foreshadowing of Jesus as the new Moses, as the new lawgiver, and the one on whom the spirit rests until he then distributes that spirit and that power to others. Seventy was also the number of the Sanhedrin, which was sort of the the local council of the Jews. And it was also a symbolic number for referring to the many nations of the world. So you can imagine then, if if this is the case, that it is actually 70, that Jesus is being very intentional about the amount of disciples that are being sent out. Whether it's 70 or 72, it doesn't really matter. The point could still be the same. Because the implication here is that not only is Jesus the new Moses, appointing disciples to share in this spirit, to share in this power, but he's also creating a new council, a new leadership, a leadership that is meant to come from all the nations of the world and to go out into all the nations of the world. Which means then that the marching orders that are given here to these 70 disciples is the same calling placed on every disciple of Jesus. But notice here that he doesn't just send them out into 70 different locations, right? He doesn't send them out alone. He sends them out two by two, which I don't think is a reference to Noah's Ark, although that's the only reference that I could think of in Scripture. But I don't think there's a connection there. Rather, there's an emphasis here put on doing the gospel-telling work in groups rather than some lone ranger. Because honestly, when you think about it, how much damage has been done or is done when people go it solo— Those who are either frustrated with group dynamics or with the church and just go ahead and plant their own church or start a ministry by themselves so that they can do it their way. No. Jesus actually sets a pattern for us here. We're not meant to do this by ourselves. He sets a pattern here that's picked up again in the book of Acts where we see Paul and Barnabas going and doing the work of ministry. Paul and Silas doing it together. John and Peter worked together. You see married couples like Priscilla and Aquila starting a teaching ministry together. What we see Jesus doing in this passage then is he's appointing, sending and building community in ministry so that the disciples can pave a way for his arrival, so that they can make a way for his spirit to move. Look at verse one. He sends them ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go, right? They didn't just go and do their thing and come back and report to Jesus. No, he's going to go there himself, It reminds me of what Billy Graham used to do. He used to send out a group of prayers into every town or city where he was going to go visit so that they could prepare the way in prayer for the proclamation of the gospel. Here, however, interestingly, the disciples are actively engaging with people and preparing them for the arrival of Jesus himself. They're paving the way for Jesus to come after them. Have we ever thought of ourselves as this crew of 70? As us doing something similar, people who are sent out to not just pray over cities, but to prepare the way for Jesus' arrival. 
Because based on the disciples' reactions here, this should actually really excite us. When they come back and they're sharing their experiences in verse 17, they're filled with joy. N.T. Wright translates it as this way, the 70 come back exhilarated. Why? Because if you think about it, Jesus had told them that they were going to be sent out as lambs in the midst of wolves. They were going to be sent out like lambs among wolves. That's not, not even sheep, adult sheep going among wolves. That's little lambs, tiny little lambs going out among wolves. That's terrifying. That doesn't sound fun at all. That's not going to be easy. And yet they come back with joy. Why? Because they had seen the authority of Jesus at work. They had seen his power at work. Remember what he says at the end of Matthew's gospel, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Why? Because I've put my spirit on you and have given you the authority to go. Look here at verse 19, he says that he's given authority to these disciples, that they can participate In the dawning of this new era that Jesus is bringing, they can witness kingdom work. They can see the turning over of evil. Not by literally stamping on snakes and scorpions, although that'd be pretty awesome, and and Paul kind of experienced a little bit of that, but by living out the realities of Jesus' victory in preparation for his coming. They can see his authority at work in preparation for his coming. In other words, this is Jesus' mission. He's got an itinerary that we can participate in. He's simply granted us authority by his spirit, and this is an authority that can play out in a whole bunch of different ways. But the kingdom of Jesus and the authority that is granted to us will only be as clear to us in as much as we give it attention and in as much as we obey his call to us to be a sent out people. What I mean by that is it's going to be very hard for us to seek his kingdom and to prepare the way for our king to come again if we're not joyfully seeing the impact of his message on the hearts and minds of others. In other words, if we're not seeing the gospel in action. The disciples come back rejoicing because they could feel, they could see that they were a part of something so much bigger than themselves. In Jesus' triumph over evil, based on what they'd witnessed and they've experienced, how could this not bring joy? When you see Jesus Christ at work, doing things, how could this not bring them joy? Jesus himself, in verse 21, is full of joy through the Holy Spirit. He's joyful because they're joyful, because they've been able to see and witness his authority at work. He's just absolutely beaming from ear to ear, right? When these disciples come back. And he praises his Father for revealing the most important truths and mysteries of the kingdom to those who would be least expected to understand. See, those of us who are oh so wise and learned and have grown up in faith-based homes need to be really careful to not let pride get in the way of childlike humility and obedience. The gospel is always overturning these ideas that we need you know, learning, intelligence, privilege, resources, money in order to pursue the kingdom of God, in order to have an impact. You actually don't need any of that. You don't need any of it. All the followers of Jesus need is a love for the world, a childlike humility and obedience, and a recognition that we can't do this in our own strength. 
It's why the disciples are told to not take anything with them. Don't take any, any sandals, any money, any, any purse, nothing. Because it's those who are dependent on Jesus' authority alone, those who know that they need him and are like children sitting at their teacher's feet. It's they that gain the wisdom of heaven, who don't make it about themselves, who don't need to prove anything, who don't need to worry about what other people think or other people's opinions. What gives our Savior joy is when his followers allow themselves to be sent out in complete dependence on him and then they come back rejoicing to the community because they saw his authority at work. You know, this is why when we heard those testimonies last week from Jalice and Reese and Matea and Thomas, when, we, when they shared their testimonies with us last week, this is why we receive so much joy from that, Right? Their words are what we remember most from that service. Why? Why is it that their words mean so much to us? It's because we hear about what God is doing. It's not about them or how much charisma or, or how much they can speak or what they've done. It's what God is doing. It's what God has done in and through them, not what they've accomplished, but what God has accomplished. It, it gives us immense encouragement to hear about and to know what God has done and is doing in their lives. Those are such memorable services for us. When I was in Nairobi, Kenya, for a, a regent course, a fellow student and I went to, because uh, it's very Western in Nairobi, so we actually had to seek out an indigenous church, a, a properly indigenous church. Tiny little church uh, in, a, in a big barn. It wasn't really that big, but it was kind of in the back area of, of a bunch of homes. Um, beaten up houses. The elders were all in traditional African garb. There, was, there were drums going on. There were people were singing. The, the pastor shared a short message. But the most important part of that service was the time after the message when they shared testimonies. Every week, this church leaves space for people to share what Jesus has done in their lives in the last six days. How they've been able to receive his grace, varying ways that they've been able to see him at work and receive his grace and then share that message with others. That's what actually encourages this church the most. Why? Because it's not about them. It's about what Jesus is doing or has done among and through them. It's about the Spirit's activity and Jesus' authority being demonstrated in regular daily lives. It's about every single one of them saying, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I can see his authority at work in my life and I can look for it and I can witness it in different ways. Shayla Visser, who's the, the Senior Vice President for Alpha Canada, shared that we often forget that we're not the primary initiator in sharing the gospel or witnessing the gospel at work. She says this, uh, gospel telling or evangelism, and she's quoting from Daryl Johnson, is joining a conversation the Holy Spirit is already having with another person. And you don't even necessarily have to relate that just to a conversation. You could relate that to any situation. We, when, when, when we are going out to see the gospel in action and to do gospel telling work, we are entering into an, a conversation or something that the Spirit is already doing. Think of what Jesus said in John 15. When the advocate comes, 
whom I will send to you from the Father, he will testify about me. He will testify about me. We put so much weight on ourselves. Okay, testify. You have to testify. You have to testify. He will testify about me. That takes so much pressure off of us, right? Yes, sometimes we have to open our mouths, but that takes so much pressure off of us. We can simply participate in something that's already going on, a conversation that's already happening, and we can trust the impact of it and the results to God. And this participation can present itself sometimes in the most unexpected of ways. David Platt once got an email from a woman. She was a non-Christian, but she had found herself on a plane sitting next to, obviously before COVID, sitting next to um, somebody from his congregation. And he writes this, as I look at my emails today, one of them is from a woman I do not know in Las Vegas. Yesterday, she sat on a plane with a member of our faith family in Birmingham. This member is a salesman for a pharmaceutical company, so just your average guy. She tells me that throughout the flight, he was reading his Bible carefully. She describes the intensity that was evident on his face. She struck up a conversation with him. She was intrigued. And in her words, his eyes teared up as he talked about his passion for Christ and his desire to know him more. This is just an average conversation on a plane. She asked him what church he was a part of, and then she sent David this email to encourage him. What a phenomenal thing, right? This non-Christian woman who happens to be touched by the passion of a disciple of Jesus sitting next to her on a plane, and so she goes and she finds this church online so that she can contact the pastor and encourage him. See, in this situation, the man was simply willing to share with this woman sitting next to him, not how much she needed Jesus, but how much he needed Jesus. That's all it took. And it was enough for her to find the church online. You know, this might have only been a tiny little seed planted, right? But who knows what God might do or has done to bring others into her life to then nourish that seed, right? And hopefully see it grow. All this to say, one of the most important things we can do to encourage one another and others in the faith is to express the joy of life in Christ. To express our joy of how we've seen Jesus at work. To share stories and to testify to what Jesus is doing and has done. Because if what we see here in this passage is is Jesus appointing, sending, empowering, encouraging, and affirming his disciples with joy for their participation in his mission, should it not be our task to do the same for one another? To send one another out, to encourage one another, to affirm one another, and to empower one another in this mission, to spur one another on. See, because... I know on a head level what Jesus has asked me to do. I know what he's called me to do. But what I need as a believer is other believers encouraging me to live that out. I need space to be challenged by you all, to share with you then and and to, to share, to testify, to share stories, to witness to what God is doing and the doors that he's opening for gospel telling and to have my fellow disciples cheering me on 
and encouraging me that the Spirit is already at work. Right? That's my task to you and that's your task to me. That's how we encourage one another and we spur one another on. That's what we all need. But for some reason, we've, we often make faith conversations awkward. As if it's a strange thing to ask a fellow believer, you know, so how's things going in your faith journey? Or how's your prayer life? Or how have you seen God at work in your neighborhood or in your own lives? Right? We often leave this to the pastors and the elders, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> I love asking those questions, but that's something that we should all do. We should all be doing with one another. These should be normal questions for us. Because for people who are just growing in their faith, for young people, for instance, who are rediscovering faith for the first time, like I did when I was 23, these kinds of questions are so important. Why? Because it shows that this matters to us. It shows that these are the most important questions that we want to ask and we want to know about. We should be the most encouraging community to be a part of. Where we care about encouraging one another's growth and spurring one another on for seeing our faith lived out in action. How each of us is seeing the authority of Jesus worked out in our day-to-day living matters. It matters so much for our own faith development and for others that this should be normal conversation for us. Because the more, the more that we see his authority at work in our lives and acknowledge that and share that with one another, the more thrilling and joy-filled our lives are, our faith life becomes. You know, we, we don't end up then chasing after every occasional temporary comfort or happy experience. We're, we're filled simply by the ongoing impact of the gospel in our everyday existence. The more we hear those kinds of stories and share the impact of the gospel with others, the more joy-filled our lives are. We don't even realize how much joy there can be in seeing Jesus' authority at work and how much joy there is for Jesus himself, as the text tells us. So we need to tell more stories and give space for telling stories so that we can normalize this. It should be regular rhythm, a regular rhythm for us to share about the opportunities that Jesus is giving us to see his authority operating in and through us. You know, because apparently the harvest is plentiful. There's work to be done. And it's not like just showing up a job, right? It's not like just showing up at a job and there's nothing for you to do, so you just hang around and scroll on Instagram for a while. It's, it's not like that. The harvest is plentiful. It's not scarce. It's not here and there. It's not every once in a while. It's plentiful. Which means then that there are people out there that Jesus wants us engaging with on varying levels, and he wants them to come to know him even more than we do. This can look in different ways, but we need to be aware that the harvest is plentiful. You may be put in situations where there's an opportunity to give you, even even if you're the passive one in the situation and somebody's asking you the questions. The Lord, again, we're entering into conversations that are already going on, that the Spirit has already begun having with people. 
And I, I know that for many of us, it's easy to kind of step back and be like, ah, I don't, you know, I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's not me. It's just not my thing. And to that, I would be like, yeah, cool, me neither. You know, there are, there are very specific people that have been appointed as evangelists in the church. Ephesians 4 tells us that. Absolutely. That's what Christ has done. I lost my pot, spot. Give me a second. They, these are people that breathe the gospel of Jesus, right? They just breathe it. And you think, ah, oh, how can you articulate this so well? No, there are people that have been appointed to do this. However, we are all called to know and share the message of Jesus Christ as the Spirit leads. There are people who God will put into your life that need to hear the gospel in the exact way that you can explain it. Even if it's only a 30-second thing. He knows. He knows. Shayla Visser, again, she works professionally in evangelism, but at one point in her, in her career, she realized that it, it was actually a very little part of her own life. And so she started praying every day that her eyes and her ears would be open to seeing the Holy Spirit at work. She started every day praying with this, Holy Spirit, give me eyes and ears to see what you are doing around me. And Lord, can I please join you? And whatever you're doing, can I please join you? Would you allow me to see that the harvest is plentiful? And after a number of days or weeks, she, did started, she started to notice that things changed. Not dramatically, but she started to see it more often and realized that people are actually interested if we just listen to them and build relationship. And then she said, we will see how plentiful the harvest really is. Sometimes it's just a matter of trusting what Jesus said. Because the reality is, folks, this life isn't just about doing a bunch of good things and then going to heaven when we die. Jesus came preaching the good news of the kingdom for today. Bringing the kingdom here, now, here as it is in heaven, bringing the realities of heaven here. And he wants to do this through us, through the church. He's given us the power and the authority of his Holy Spirit to be salt and light to be him to our neighbors, to be his presence in the world. God is turning evil upside down, you guys. He's creating a new world order. He's breaking Satan's power. He's making new creation. And he's doing this through the church. It doesn't feel like that sometimes, but that's a reality that we need to live into. As we sang earlier, King of Heaven, we will answer the call. We will follow, bringing hope to the world, filled with passion, filled with power to proclaim, a power that's not ours, right? Filled with Holy Spirit, power to proclaim salvation in Jesus' name. Will we participate in this? Will we send out one another, empower one another, encourage one another? 
to reach out, to be brave, to get outside of our comfort zones, to, to creatively invite people to consider the meaning of life, and, and not just as a, some sort of sales pitch, but as a means of showing them the love and the compassion and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. Because when we do this, my goodness, the joy we will feel. Even if it's a complete gong show, we leave from there empowered by the Holy Spirit, knowing that we participated in something that's already going on. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. May we be a people who pray every day. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need your Spirit's power. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be more and more dependent on you. Lord, we know that there's a mission. Lord, we know that you've called us to be a part of it. You desire that we would be a part of it. We know, Lord, that this brings you joy. And we know, Lord, that there's much joy for us to have as well. So we pray, Lord, that we would be professional storytellers that we would seek to share with one another the impact of the gospel on our own lives, that it would become real to us in our day-to-day -day living, and that it would become natural for us to then share that impact with others. Send us out, Lord. Empower us to be your people, and may we be the most encouraging community to be a part of. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.